The reading is Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray as we begin. Um, our great God and Father, as we look at these words here in this psalm, uh, we're conscious that they have, uh, they've caused untold comfort to people through thousands of years. We pray as we look at these magnificent images this morning that uh, you'd lift our eyes to see you through them, that we might find in you refuge from the chaos of human conflict. Amen. Well, uh, question, what is the answer uh, to the, the instinct that humans have towards conflict? What's the answer? Uh, whatever your kind of religious uh, thinking, religious background, it's clear, isn't it, that, 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 that people have an instinct towards conflict. Uh, you, you notice it in children from the very earliest age. We had a moment a couple of weeks ago where, uh, a rare moment where everyone in the family was playing happily. All the children, very calm, it was wonderful. And my, my daughter, who's not yet two, walked out, saw her brother, walked over, grabbed the toy that he had, pulled out of his hand and said, like eyeballed him and said, mine. And pff, World War III. <laughs> now, it wasn't hers. <laughs> And she didn't even want to play with it. But even from that young age, there was that, that instinct to head into conflict, to blow things up. And it doesn't go away, does it? I mean, sure, the way we express it gets more complicated, more sophisticated. But that instinct towards conflict doesn't go away. I mean, with all the advances that we've experienced as humanity, all the great leaps forward... The last century had more violent deaths than any century before, by a long, long way. What is, what is the answer to that instinct that we have towards conflict? Now, some people would say it's uh, international relations, which I think boils down to communication. If we really communicate better, that will solve the problems. And absolutely, that's wonderful, isn't it? And it was come on leaps and bounds, international relations, communication. But despite that, do you know how many wars there are in the world right now? 48. Ten of them 
uh, sorry, four of them are considered major conflicts. That's 10,000 plus deaths in the last year. 19 normal wars, which is, uh, a hundred to a thousand, sorry, a thousand to ten thousand deaths, and twenty-five minor wars, which is a hundred to a thousand deaths. Forty-eight wars in the world right now. The communication is is great; it's vital, but it's not solving the problem. Well, other people would say the educational, uh, so behavioural scientists would say have been trying to say it's, it's education. Education is the answer. If we if we learn more about other ways of thinking, that's going to solve the problem. And again, absolutely essential, wonderful. We need to do that. But at the moment, we have a generation emerging who is better educated about other ways of thinking than in this country alone, than any, any generation previously. And do you know what's happened to hate crime statistics in the last 10 years? They've gone up and up and up and up. You know what's happened to domestic violence statistics in the last two years? Up and up and up. And that's a country that's at peace. So ed- education is essential, but it's not solving the problem. What is the answer? Where is there hope as we face the chaos of human conflict? Now, that's not just an abstract question. I think, again, it's a deeply personal question for all of us. Because we know, don't we, that we each experience conflict in our own lives, that instinct towards conflict. If you and I were to look back at the conflicts that we've had in the last year, that might be the pain of a dysfunctional family relationship or, or the drain of an antagonistic relationship at work, the ongoing simmering bitterness. It might be the stony silence, it might be the raised voice, but each of us faces conflict in our own lives. Where... What is the answer? Where is there hope in the face of that instinct that we all have? Well, this this psalm is is written uh, with the backdrop of the chaos of conflict. So you see in verse 6, nations in uproar, kingdoms falling. You see in verse 9, wars, bows, spears, shields. It's the backdrop here is the chaos of human conflict. And this psalm says to us, what is the source of hope? Well, it's, it's God himself. If you glance at verse 1 uh, and verse 7 and verse 10, 7 and 10 are a little refrain that repeat, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. This psalm would say that it is God himself who is our hope. He is a refuge that we can run to in the chaos of conflict. There's three reasons I think this psalm gives us why God gives us hope in the face of conflict. They're the points you'll see on the on the service sheet. God is our refuge in the face of chaos, verses 1 to 3. God's presence is our protection, verses 4 to 7. God's exaltation brings lasting peace, verse 8 to 11. The big idea, I think, is run to him. <laughs> run to him as your refuge as we face the chaos of human conflict. So first point then, God, God is our, our, our refuge uh, in the face of chaos. Have a look at verse 1 to 3 with me. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake 
with their surging. Notice the imagery there, verse 2, of uh, roaring, surging waters. That Hebrew thought, the, the surging seas, an image that represents chaos. So you may remember at the beginning of the Bible, God creates order out of the waters of chaos as land emerges from the sea. This is that in reverse. You see that? This is chaos taking over. This is a picture of the worst case scenario. This is talking about when the worst happens. And and, and you notice the images in verse 2, that as those stormy waters come, what happens? Well, the earth giving way. The mountains slipping into the sea. The things that seem most solid, the things that we most depend on, slipping away. See, when this is talking about when the bad times come and the things that we rely on to get us through the bad times when they crumble. What do you do then? What do you do when the things that you most depend on to get you through the trouble crumble? Where do you go then? See, this, 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 that, that, that is when life really feels like it descends into chaos. And that's the experience of many soldiers. The poet Yeats captured that, this experience after the First World War. He said, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. This is talking about when, you know, when, when the two towers come down, when war breaks out, when the supply chains fail, when the things that we've always looked to and depended on fall apart. The worst case scenario, what do we do then? Now, of course, that same feeling of, 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 of what we've depended on falling apart, that can be true of lesser conflicts as well. It can be true of the, the conflicts that we face in our daily lives, domestic conflicts. When family is tearing itself apart, when when cold war rages at work or in a marriage or in a friendship, it can feel like like the ground is giving way beneath you, all that what I've depended on slipping away. What do we do when the things we've always depended on slip away and life descends into chaos? Well, look, verse 2 says, for a Christian... We don't have to fear. How can that possibly be true? Well, because of verse 1, because of the Lord, because God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Three wonderful little things we see there about God. Our refuge, that is, I think, something outside of me that I can run to, something that is bigger than me, that I can hide in. It reminds me of this picture. You may have seen this picture before. Raging seas, and there's a little man you might be able to see standing in the doorway here. A refuge, something bigger than me that I can run to. But it's not just a refuge. He's also, verse 1, our strength. That is, I think, internally. He gives me the strength, what I need that I don't have in myself, what I need to face this situation. Like a, think of a flimsy glove and then a strong hand being pushed into the glove. He strengthens us. And then second half of verse one, an ever-present help in trouble. He's always there, always able to help, more present than any friend or any relative or anything else ever could be, 
ever-present, always there, utterly consistent, completely dependable. See, when the thing that you depend on most fully gives way, what then? Well, a Christian can know that they have a help, a refuge that never fails. Now, can I just, if if you're not a, a Christian here this morning, if you're looking into Christian things, can I just ask, um, what, what do you do? What will you do when the things you most depend on crumble? Where, where do you look? What do you do in that day when the things that you depend on fail? Um, I had a, a podcast recently that someone put me on to, interesting podcast. It's called uh, uh, How to Fail. Um, and what they do is they interview celebrities, and instead of asking them about their successes, they ask them about their failures and what they learned from times they failed. And one, one famous celebrity said this. She said she looked back at all the different failures in her life, and she realized that everything can slip away. Everything she relies on can slip away. Her success, her money, um, her friendships, they can all slip away. And what she concluded was, my one constant is me. As I look to the future, the, my one constant, it's me. There's kind of a nobility to that, isn't there? But I just want to say to her, what about when you are overwhelmed? <laughs> what about the moments where you can't um, handle the situation? Where you get the diagnosis and it crushes you? Where you're experiencing pain and you find yourself uh, in a heap on the floor in a pile of ugly tears? See, if, if, if my security is based on me, my peace of mind is based on me, then it's only as strong as I am. I don't know how anyone can face the future with confidence if that's their, their ultimate refuge. Well, Christians can know, verse 1, that I have a help outside of me. It's ever-present. It's never shaken. Whatever is coming to me in the future, the Alps and the Andes may slip into the sea. Everything might come crashing down, but I will have a help in that day. I will have a refuge. It's never shaken. God's our refuge in the face of chaos. Well, the next point the psalmist moves on to, I think, that God's presence is our protection. Have a look down at verse four with me. There is a, I love this verse, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, do you notice the difference there in verse 4? We go from the raging waters foaming and surging to a different kind of water, a peaceful river flowing gently through a city, bringing joy and nourishment and refreshment. Can, Can you picture it? In your mind's eye, can you see the river sparkling as it winds through the city, making the people glad? And the people of that city are enjoying peace and security because, second half of verse 4, the Most High dwells there. God is there in the city. God himself. 
An interesting thing about this city, it seems, if you look at verse 6 in this image, that this city is surrounded by roaring uh, nations, clamoring nations. It seems that the city is under siege. Roaring uh, nations, clamoring and clashing outside it. But inside, there's peace. Why? Well, because God is there. Look at verse 5 with me. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. If, if, if God is there, the city cannot fall. That word fall there, it's the same word in the Hebrew as we speak about the mountains in verse 2, falling. The city can't fall because God is there. If you, if you want to throw down this city, then you have to throw down God himself. <laughs> and so verse 6, there are these roaring, raging nations clamoring and clashing outside the city gates. But what does God do? We'll look at the end of verse 6. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. I mean, in COP26 this week, they kept saying, uh, no more words, it's time for action. Well, God's words are action. He raises his voice and these proud armies are dissolved. But these conquering powers are enfeebled. And those in the city that have God's presence with them, they might be under siege. They might look out over the, over the gates at the raging nations. But they're secure. They have peace. They drink from the river of delights. If God is with you, you cannot be destroyed. Now look, we, we don't know exactly when this psalm was written. It doesn't tell us. But there are at least three incidents in Israel's history where something like this actually happened. I'll just tell you about one of them. Around 700 BC, when uh, Sennacherib, um, who was effectively an Iraqi warlord, was charging through the, this, the territory, just destroying city after city after city. You can go to the British Museum and you can actually see a relief of this, of when he raised the city of Lachish to the grounds, and no one could stand against him. And he came to Jerusalem and, and tried to lay siege to it. You can read about it in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37. Vast army surrounding Jerusalem. And in human terms, they had no chance... And then God delivered them. Overnight, a huge portion of the army dies, and the next morning they pack up and go home. If God is with you, you cannot be destroyed. Now, of course, um, in the New Testament, God's presence doesn't dwell in Jerusalem, doesn't dwell in a city. It dwells in the heart of every believer and in the church. In fact, Jesus actually picks up this image of the river of life in John chapter 4. And he says that, um, that the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts is like a spring welling up to eternal life. God's presence with us by his spirit nourishes us with his grace. Whatever conflicts are raging around us, whatever sieges come, we have a source of nourishment and joy. And we have a promise that we can't be destroyed. If God is with us by his spirit, we can't be destroyed. So even as, as followers of Christ, God doesn't promise to take us out of all conflict. We will face situations where conflict is raging all around us. And sometimes we'll even be directly attacked because we follow Christ, the New Testament tells us. But in it all, we know that we have God's protection. That nothing comes to us that he hasn't allowed to. 
and that he doesn't promise to use for our good. One, one theologian put it this way. He said that um, no trouble comes without passing through the banner of God's love. And we're promised that we won't, we won't be ultimately destroyed. Jesus promised the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. If God is with us, cannot be destroyed. And that is, there is no other source of protection and security like that, is there? I mean, what are the things are that we, we look to for security in this life when things go wrong? You know, our, our bank balance, our financial planning, our previous successes, our reputation, our closest relationships. Of course, we, we get a, a measure of security from all those things. But none of them, they can all be broken. They can all be taken away from us. God's presence is the only protection that cannot be broken. And so we rejoice as we say verse 7. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God's presence is our protection. And then finally, God's ultimate exaltation brings lasting peace. Have a look at verse 8 with me. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So verse 8 there, it, it calls us to look back at times that God has acted in the past. Times when, when God has taken those that are destroying others and destroyed them. When he's desolating people that are desolating others and God has desolated them. We can look back um, through the Bible at the smoking ruins of the cities of Assyria, Babylon, Canaan, Sodom, and Gomorrah. We can look back at times when God has acted to stop human evil, to end conflict. And in light of that, we can then look forward, verse 9, to the future. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. You look forward to the moment when he puts an end to all the wars. Just imagine that moment when the... Uh, the bows that are bent to kill, God breaks in the bowman's hands. That the spears that are poised to pierce, God breaks in the spearman's hand. And, and, and peace comes and he makes wars to cease. And verse 10, I think, calls us to listen to his voice now. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That phrase, we've got the phrase, don't we? Um, keep calm and carry on, on mugs. Someone should make a mug with verse 10, shouldn't they? Be still and know that I am God. Um, the phrase be still there, it's, it's, it's not so much a, let's just sort of, um, sort of calmly meditate. The phrase in the Hebrew is actually quite strong. It's a command. Uh, cease and desist. Stop. It reminds me of a, uh, you know, the moment where there are two young children in a room and uh, they start squabbling over whatever and start just trying to assert their will against each other. You will do what I want. Fighting, fighting, fighting. And then the grown-up walks in the room. Stop. Be still. 
and they stop trying to assert their power over each other because the adults in the room, the real power, has arrived. Now, human history, it, it, it's the history of conflict, nation rising against nation, race asserting itself against race, individual asserting himself against individual. But the time is coming when they all go still because the adults arrived in the room, because they know that God is God and he will be exalted. Be still and know that I am God. And peace comes to the nations. If we took the sun out of the solar system, the planets would go crashing into each other. But when the sun's at the center, they're all placed in their right orbits. And when Jesus is exalted, the clashing powers of this world are put into their right orbits. Now, what does this exaltation mean, kind of in light of the rest of the Bible? I think there are, there are, there are three things I think the New Testament uh, uh, adds flavor to this, this idea of God's exaltation. Um, first of all, Jesus' death, resurrection, and return. So first of all, the New Testament says Jesus is exalted on the cross. He's raised up on the cross. And we see there um, that, 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 uh, that, that on the cross... He absorbed the raging of the people, the hatred, the conflict. He took it into himself, absorbed the penalty for it as he died in our place on the cross. All that our warring nature deserves to offer us peace with God and bring us into peace with each other. And next, he's also exalted in his resurrection and ascension, where the Bible says God exalted him far above all powers and authorities at the right hand of God, where right now he reigns on the throne of the universe, exalted. And he'll also be exalted in his return. That will one day be acknowledged by all, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the moment when the adult really enters the room and he makes all wars to cease. That is the moment that we are heading for. That is where our story ends. Knowing that does change things, doesn't it? It does change the way we see the conflicts. It doesn't make them any less painful, but whatever conflict is causing chaos in my life, I know that it won't ultimately last that it won't win, that the time is coming when Christ will be exalted and bring lasting peace. That peace is my future. It does change things, doesn't it? And of course, that, that peace, it's not just an, an external thing that I'm waiting for. It's an internal thing in our hearts as well, because, Christ, because of Christ's death and resurrection, I now have peace with God at the deepest level of my being. Whatever storms may come in this life, I'm not going to face the storm of God's judgment in the next. At the deepest level of who I am, there is peace between me and God. I'm not running from him. I'm not in conflict with him. I'm at peace with the creator of the universe. And if I know that, well, I can face other conflicts in my life now. Not that they won't hurt, but I have a peace at the deepest level that it starts now and lasts into eternity. What does this mean for us then, I suppose, today, as we sit here this morning? What, what are we to do with this? I think the invitation is, is, is to join in with verse 7 and verse 11. It's to run to God as our refuge 
from the chaos of conflict. Now, if you're, again, if you're not a Christian here this morning, can I just ask again, where do you go when the things you rely on let you down? What is your rescuer? Because in these words, the God of the universe is offering to be your refuge and your strength now and forever. And for those of us that would call ourselves Christians, uh, I suppose the invitation is the same thing uh, for us. It's to run to God as our refuge when we face the chaos of conflicts. Now, just ask, is there an area of your life where you need to be reminded about that? Is there any area of your life where the chaos has kind of uh, taken over your horizon and our eyes have slipped off God and the refuge that he offers? Where he's an ever-present help, he's our protector, he's our fortress. Run run, run to him again. one One way we do that is in prayer. We come to him with our worries and our fears in prayer. I came across a, a prayer the other day that I think captures this psalm really well. Hope it's going to come up on the board. Have a look at this. Nothing is too hard for you, Lord Christ. I deposit now all confidence in you that whatever these waking hours bring, my foundations will not be shaken. At day's end, I will lay me down again to sleep, knowing that my best hope is well kept in you. And that's a great example of what it looks like to take refuge in Christ. It's to come to him with words like those. Come to him in prayer. So that's the invitation to us to, to us here today. In the face of the raging human conflict, to run to God as our refuge. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we, we don't deserve this. We don't deserve to have you as an ever-present help in trouble. Help us to, to see you clearly. Help us in light of who you are and the refuge that you promise us. Help us to, um, to, to run to you from the chaos of the conflict that we experience. Amen.